welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I am your host, Cody McBroom, and today with me is our Chief Science Officer at Tailored Coaching Method, and that is Dr. Brandon Roberts. Today we have the August episode of the Research Review uh, Q&A style, once again, we're, we're really liking these ones and we're going to keep running with these ones because it allows us to answer more practical questions, dive into some of the research, and really just make it more applicable to you, the listener, the client, the follower, the audience, the person that is just trying to improve their life, improve their mind, improve their body, and use the science that we deliver in order to do that. So today we're going to talk about three topics that get commonly asked for us um, quite frequently. Uh, so this is going to be a great one because they're probably going to ring a bell with you. They're probably going to be things that you have asked yourself. Maybe you've asked me. You've probably done a Google search or two. And if you've ever tried to lose weight or change your body composition or eat a, a healthy diet just for the sake of health benefits, you've probably wondered these things. And the first one is, are artificial sweeteners safe? Can you consume them? Or are they going to cause some serious issues? Are they bad for your gut health? Are they promoting cancer in these other diseases? Are they toxic to the brain? All these different rumors. Um, well, I just gave it away. The rumors, all these myths that, that are really scaring people from eating artificial sweeteners that it, they're just unnecessary. So today we're going to dive into that. We're going to explain why those rumors and myths actually came about and why they're actually totally safe. They're probably going to help you with your weight loss goals and exactly how much of them you can consume without any worry whatsoever. The second question is going to be how deep of a deficit can you go in to lose weight? So how low of a deficit is safe? Is it 1,000 calories? Is it 1,200? Is it only 1,500? What is actually safe? And there's a lot of numbers that have been thrown out, uh, like the 1,200 number for women, 1,500 for male, and there's just really no black and white answer here. So we dive into a few different studies, um, concepts, theories, and really just practical coaching experiences we've had um, and some coaching tools I've used that I call the dieting dials, and this is the frequency, duration, and intensity of dieting when creating a deficit. Um, as well as how big of a deficit to create at the beginning, how to make adjustments, so on and so forth. So this one kind of gets spun out and we talk about a lot of different topics surrounding um, or really just conversations, right, right, and strategies around creating a deficit and how to make sure you're doing it the safe way um, while also answering the question, how low is too low? And then the third and last question of today is about hormones. What is more important for hormones when it comes to diet? Is it carbs or is it fats? There is a minimum amount of nutrients you need to support your hormones. There's a minimum amount of calories and there's also an influence of your total body fat stored on your body that is all going to influence your hormonal profile and your hormonal balance and levels and health differently, but in conjunction with each other, there's also some things that we need to consider. So today we're going to dive into that. I think you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. As always, we're trying to pick very, very specific topics that hit home with you and make sure that we're giving you what you need in order to use the science to better your body, better your life, better your health. So if uh, you have a question in mind, if you have a topic, if you have a research study, if you have something uh, to debate us on or something that you want us to debate people on, please do me a favor. There is a link in the description of this podcast. It's in the description of every single podcast and it says, ask, boom, boom. Boom Boom is me. I am Cody Boom Boom, and you can ask me anything, and you can also drop topics for the research review in there. Just let us know. Research review topic blank. Ask us whatever you want, and we will bring it up on the next one. Um, so guys, if you enjoy this podcast, if you like this, make sure you do me a huge favor um, and take a screenshot of this show. We want to make sure more and more people are getting access to this and learning for free, because that's what this podcast is. It is completely free, and you can do that by taking a screenshot, putting it on your story of your Instagram, and tagging myself at Cody McBroom, tag Brandon Roberts 
at brob underscore 21. Um, and make sure you share it so we can thank you for listening and we can share it on our story as well. Now, before we get into the podcast, I do want to give a quick reminder that these uh, Wednesday episodes are brought to you by none other than the Tailored Trainer. Yes, I sponsor my own damn podcast, but it's well worth it because in my opinion, it is the best training app out there on the market. And I have to mention it because it's my baby. It's my latest creation and I'm super excited about it. Uh, and because you're a podcast listener, we're going to give you a seven day free trial. So not only is it cheaper than any other programming app, I did that on purpose, it's only $27 a month, which is less than a dollar a day, but we're also going to give you a free seven-day trial. So you can test it out, you can experience the software, and you can see just how dope the app is before jumping into it. And this is going to deliver all the programming needs you have. They are all structured, periodized, safe to use, and they are able to be tailored to you from the equipment you're using because there's substitutes built in to the metric and periodization strategy because progression is determined by your goal and by the frequency and training split, whether you want to train three days or four days or five days or six days. You want to train a body part split, a full body split, an upper lower power lifting split. We got it all in there. It's so that you can tailor the process to you and actually have fun and progress in the gym safely. All right, guys, without any further ado, that was a long intro, but it's well worth it. Let's dive into this month's research review. That is the August Q&A episode with none other than our chief science officer, Dr. Brandon Roberts. All right, so today we got the August research review with the one and only Dr. Brandon Roberts. Um, I'm excited about this one. I always say that because I'm always excited about these, but um, I feel like the topics keep getting better. We keep picking topics that um, I feel like hit home. And it's funny because every time we do one, I think about like, fuck, I don't know what we're going to talk about next. I feel like we've covered everything. And then when we start having the conversation, it's like, oh, dude, we haven't even talked about this yet. So um, there's some good ones in there for you guys. So so briefly, uh, just so you guys are aware of what we're going to be getting into today, we are going to talk about artificial sweeteners, which is a very, very common one that people ask about. Uh, We're going to talk about how low you can take your calories during a deficit. And then we're going to dive into hormone health in regards to fats or carbs and which one may be the most important. Uh, so we're going to start with artificial sweeteners. Um, give us the uh, the rundown, man, of what you came up with for this one. Yeah, so there's some like standard artificial sweeteners that you'll see, you know, either like at a restaurant on the on the table for your coffee or in diet sodas or even in baking, I found a couple. Um, and the idea is, you know, uh, it's hard to not eat tasty food. And if we can replace some of the sugar with, a fake sugar substitute that doesn't have any calories, um, we can save some calories and therefore maybe, you know, maintain our diet, lifestyle, and other stuff without actually having to go into deficit. Um, so in the artificial sweetener world, I'm um, going to focus on three of the like most well-known and most researched ones. Uh, the first one is saccharin, and that was developed way back in the 1800s, like the late 1800s. Uh, it's, it's, very seldom used anymore because we've made better things um, that are actually just sweeter. So you might find these in like old diet sodas or some chewing gum or some recipes, but it's pretty rare. Um, and this is also the, the pink packets on the sweet and low, right? So you kind of go out for breakfast and you get some sweet and low. So that's that's what the, that is, saccharin. Uh, and it's a whopping. <laughs> 300 times sweeter than sugar, right? Just crazy. Um, most of these artificials, artificial sweeteners that we'll talk about actually are 300 times or more. Um, so that's okay. kind of the 
the benefit. You, and you need sweeter things than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, in those little sugar packets, like for Sweet and Low and, and um, Splenda and NutraSweet Equal, all those, they only contain about like 5% of all that that like substance is actually artificial sweetener. Otherwise, it, otherwise it would be like way too sweet. Yeah. Um, so you're oh, only consuming. Sorry, what? Is it like maltodextrin in there or something? Yeah, it's just some kind of filler. I'm not, ex I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's just a filler. Um, so yeah, not very much at all that you would consume just adding, you know, some sugar to your coffee. <clears throat> so saccharin again was been around for a long time. And there was a lot of research uh, that came out uh, maybe in the 60s, 70s, 80s around saccharin causing cancer. And so what basically that's based on is scientists would give a ton of saccharin to rats, like, like so much that it would equal like 500 plus diet sodas. Which nobody drinks in a day, right? And that's per day. Uh, and then basically they were like, hey, let's give them this mega ultra super dose and then see what happens. And of course they got cancer because if you give anything in a mega super dose, it's probably going to cause cancer. Uh, so that was kind of like the first scare and what first started scaring people about uh, artificial sweeteners. But they did some other experiments later, I think it was the 90s, um, and basically found that, you know, that doesn't really translate to humans, nor is it realistic to replicate that type of research in a human because like you just you just can't intake. So basically moving fast forward into the 2000s, everybody's concerned about the gut microbiome and for good reason, right? They're, we're kind of figuring out that it, it, it influences certain things. People who exercise have slightly different gut microbiomes than, than people who don't. People who are lean have different microbiomes than people who are obese. Um, so they tested it in that and basically found out it didn't really do anything, even when consumed at ridiculous levels. Um, so overall, saccharin, again, the sweet and low packets are safe, I think. Um, so, quick question on that, like, because there's, there's so much research done, at least, and this may just be what I know because this, this is what people talk about, but um, it's always, that's always been like the cop out. And not even the cop because it's truth of like, no, like, okay, yeah, but they gave two packets to a rat and that's like equivalent of this like insane amount for a human or whatever it may be. Are there any studies where they gave the rat the amount that humans actually ingest? So if I drink my coffee, when I go to a diner, I put one Splenda packet in my cup of coffee. What equivalent is that to a rat? Have they ever done that kind of study? Um, so they usually do dose responses, but they don't start with anything like realistic because it wouldn't really do anything like you can kind of just guess that that amount based on you know the the research up to now is just so little that it doesn't do anything in fact they often give rats specifically artificial sweeteners so that they'll drink drugs <laughs> um that taste bad so that's you know it's it's pretty common yeah well a part of me wishes they would do the study that showed nothing just so people would see that nothing happens, you know, in a realistic yeah. dosage. Yeah, and there's a couple of studies in humans um, with kind of all of these we'll talk about uh, that give, you know, not mega doses, but good sized doses, um, probably the equivalent of like five cans of diet soda a day or something. And they don't, they don't say anything. 
um, the gut microbiome stuff is pretty realistic where like, uh, you know, they'll give probably like half of the acceptable dose. Like there's a, there's a max dose for acceptable for the FDA. They'll give like half of that and they'll see if it does anything, um, which is still in the upper range of what someone would consume. And it just doesn't quite get there. Um, so that, that first one was saccharin and there's, probably the most data on that one, uh, but also it's like the least used. So the next one is probably going to ring a bell. So it's aspartame, which is an equal NutraSweet. It was in Diet Coke for a long time. It probably still is. Um, there was actually a story where, I can't remember if it's Coke or Pepsi, where they took out aspartame out of their diet drink. And then people hated it so much they had to make it like they had to put it back in and then make another version with Splenda. I'm pretty sure it was Coke. Is that why uh, they had Diet Coke and Coke Zero? Yeah. Like that was the, that was the, the rationale is ones were made with aspartame, so Diet Coke, and then sucralose is um, Coke Zero. As I'm so. drinking a rock star, I'm trying to look to see this is sucralose. Okay. So. Yeah. Continue. I like sucralose a little better. It tastes a little bit better um, to me. So aspartame is not quite as sweet as saccharin. It's like 200 times sweeter than sugar, um, but kind of the same type of story where there was this one research group who studies artificial sweeteners and they gave a mega dose and they found cancer, right? Um, but the FDA kind of questioned their research and other people have repeated it in um, in rodents and in humans and not seeing the same thing. But in science, headlines kind of grab attention, right? Yeah. So if I give you a study that says, oh, aspartame is going to ruin your body, right? Whatever your, your outcome measure is, um, newspapers are gonna run with it because it's hot. But then they don't put the follow-up study where they're like, actually, that didn't really happen in our lab. And so the FDA has kind of like stamped this lab with like a, mm, be careful with what comes out of this place. They've studied aspartame and sucralose now, and both of them have had, like FDA has come back and said, mm, no, that's not true. Um, so again, but it just takes one study to set off a, a series of events. Yeah. Um, the, the main component with aspartame is it has phenylalanine in it. So it's like linked with phenylalanine and aspartic acid. So if you have problems, digesting and metabolizing phenylalanine, you probably don't want to use this one. Um, you would know, like if you have a problem with it, like your doctor would just be like, yeah, you have phenylketonuria or whatever it is. Um, so in terms of how much would you have to drink to reach like the max dose for a day, let's say um, it's about 15 cans of Diet Coke, which is not unrealistic. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've seen people do that, but not also not advised, right? Yeah. Um, and even then, um, there is some slight, so there's a study that came out that said aspartame changed your gut microbiome in humans and rodents. And of course it blew up. This was like three or four years ago. Uh, but other research has come back and said, no, that's actually not true. Um, there's also some research because it's a little more popular um, on body composition, glucose tolerance, appetite, right, body weight in general. And they essentially don't find anything when you give people normal amounts of aspartame. 
So again, you know, it's there's some some kind of the, the questions I get generally are, does it make people's appetite go up? The answer is no. Uh, does it make people like their glucose metabolism different? No. Doesn't make them insulin resistant at all. Uh, or does it change your body composition? Right? Does it maybe influence your lean mass, fat mass, things like that? No, not there either. So, long story short, uh, there. This is one that's going to have studies coming out over the next probably five or ten years, just because it's newer. So it's like made in the '60s, uh, but for now, it seems reasonably safe. Um, but I also wouldn't recommend drinking 15 diet cokes in a day. Well, and and if somebody does have a problem with this, they have that intolerance where they have digestive issues with it. Um, you probably wouldn't even have to go to the doctor. It's, you're probably one of those people who has some of it and you get the runs or you have really bad digestion and bloating and gas. And then you immediately point the finger at artificial sweeteners when this is one artificial sweetener that's specifically triggering that. But you would probably know if you're that person. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you probably would. Um, and I think that, you know, in our, in our coaching system, it's like if something's going to make you miserable, don't drink it. Yeah. Right? Like if, if you drink Diet Coke or whatever, and you're like, this makes me miserable. And like you said, it's artificial sweeteners. I was like, no, that's, no, that's okay. It's, it might be, but just don't drink Diet Coke anymore. Yeah. There's enough options out there to pick something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So last one, sucralose, which again is my, probably my favorite. And my wife is like, that tastes terrible. Like Coke Zero tastes terrible is what she tells me. Same same situation here. I love uh, Heinz reduced sugar ketchup. Is like, I'm all about it, and I'm, I'm like 99% sure that's sucralose. I believe it is. Um, my wife hates it. She's like, "There's no, this is disgusting." I'm like, "It tastes exactly like ketchup. I love it." I also haven't had full sugar ketchup in years, so <laughs> that plays a role. Yeah, I can't remember what's in uh, Halo Top. I should look at that one, but it's probably sucralose. Uh, so this is Splenda, right? It's like the newest one. Um, I don't remember. I think it was created in the 80s or 90s. It's, it's newer than aspartame. Um, but again, research used a mega dose, found cancer in rats and mice. Other research came back and said, okay, let's be real more realistic. And this one's actually been done a, a good bit in humans, and they haven't really found anything. Um, there's even a meta-analysis, which is kind of cool, uh, that there's no association in consumption of artificial sweeteners and it breaks down like all of these three and then looks at body composition and they're not really related. Um, when you look at large scale data, what happens sometimes is people can associate it with like obesity or body weight or something. Um, but as we kind of know, like one component is not like responsible for everything, right? Like if you found an association between artificial sweeteners and like diabetes, it's like, there's probably some other stuff in there that's working, like, you know, so I think I, I when I tell people and send them studies on this stuff, um, it's like, just be careful how you interpret it and, you know, what people are trying to say. Uh, most of the actual intervention studies where they give people artificial sweeteners, they don't really find anything. Yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of, Again, people hunt for stuff and like for good reason, right? Like it's artificial, it's man-made. Maybe it's not the best thing in the world, but to date there's nothing really that says any of these are 
bad or unhealthy or both for you. Yeah. I think uh, like what you kind of refer to is the whole like correlation versus causation thing. And I think anytime you hear anything, you should always try to run that kind of correlation versus causation formula in your head. Cause even like, think of all the people, you know, everybody listening, think of all the people, you know, or you've known in your lifetime who were overweight and only drank diet Coke or who were obese and drank slim fast all the time. Slim fast isn't associated with weight gain. It's just that that's instead of actually following a caloric deficit or working out, they tried to find a quick fix solution. They drank diet Coke instead. It wasn't enough to put them in a significant enough deficit to actually cause any results. Um, so artificial sweeteners, obesity, like, you know what I mean? There's just so many things that you could, you could tie together. And then I always think too, is like, yeah, it's artificial amongst many things, uh, like the headset on my head, the screen I'm watching with you and, uh, the, <laughs> Rockstar, I'm drinking all these different things that we use, but also over the years, I mean, one, the dumb shit people have ate, the amount of uh, like pills or ibuprofen things that people have taken and still been fine, even though they shouldn't be taking that many, or um, even the Paleolithic days. You know how many probably berries and nuts and twigs and raw meat they tried to eat over the years, and we're just like, oh, I shit everywhere and threw up. Don't eat that. We're still surviving. You know, it's, it's the body's pretty damn resilient. And I'm not saying that you should go just drown yourself in artificial sweeteners, but um, I just think there's a lot of times where you can really just use common sense. Like, I think it's, it's probably okay, but I've gotten messages, man. I had this one guy that was like, I wish I could find on DMs. I couldn't find it because I don't remember his name. It was just somebody trolling on one of my things, but I was scrolling through trying to find it. And um, he was like going off about, liver function and toxicity and uh, actually damaging your central nervous system and how your brain, like all this stuff. And, and I wanted to ask you, is there even any data with rats that, that suggest those things? He sent me like a ton of links where just basically bloggers referring to articles. And I just don't have the time to look through what he's sending me, nor do I care. Um, but are you aware of any neurological issues or even liver toxicity is what he was throwing at me too, when it comes to consuming artificial sweeteners? I, so I didn't come across anything. I wouldn't be surprised if it exists. Um, most, of, most of the stuff I was looking for um, was like so ridiculously overdosed that it's just like, I don't even, like this is not even a fair comparison to what a human would possibly drink um, or eat or whatever. So I, I, maybe I can dig back in and put that one in the blog and see if I can find an article or two uh, study. I got it. But I, that if there was anything serious in those realms, you would have found it because it would have been one of the main things discussed. Don't you think? I mean, that's serious. Yeah. Yeah. And the FDA, so the FDA website has, is a pretty good resource, right? Um, but it links to a lot of the, the studies that I linked to. Um, and it didn't say anything about neurotoxicity or liver damage at all. So that's kind of like a, well, probably not, but you never know. Yeah. And I think this is one of those cases where people are, are really nitpicking um, trying to find something and then jumping to conclusions and, and um, or misinterpreting it even like I even I had a, a, a guy that was really mad that one of my posts said that a carnivore diet doesn't work unless you're in a deficit and he was like pretty worked up about it and he was like I've lost x pounds by adding a thousand calories by following the carnivore diet and I was like oh yeah it makes sense you eliminated carbs you probably increased your protein by double so even if you went into a surplus with just protein you're still not going to gain body fat in fact you probably lose weight which has been shown by Antonio Jose like I just dropped all this stuff and uh he didn't have his response was like I eat a lot of fat too and then like just stop but he was like sending me paragraphs and then I said that like this long and it was just that and I was just like man like 
you're assuming something, but you don't really like, like say you're in take consideration, you know, like if I even just ask you what your macros are now, all of a sudden your whole theory is shut down. So you, you really have to really think about things, but um, just for the people listening, the whole correlation versus causation thing, and just read between the lines, really dig into the, the claims because a lot of times, and, and this is why I do enjoy, um, I mean, he does it more aggressively than most people, but I really enjoy what Lane Norton does online because there is a lot where I think people jump to conclusions and he is good about showing you how to actually interpret things and not get sidetracked or like just distracted by these claims from gurus and stuff. Um, but a couple of things I wanted to ask you on this specifically, you brought up uh, causing more hunger. That's one thing I always hear is like, oh, well, if you eat artificial sweeteners, it's going to trigger insulin and blood glucose. And, and now you're tricking your body to be hungrier and you're going to be hungry again. Um, I find the opposite. Uh, it actually like curbs my hunger. And I'm pretty sure weight loss research shows that as well. But is there any merit to this theory or what is causing people to believe that? So I... There's, there's this one or two studies on appetite specifically, and they give artificial sweeteners and they, they measure appetite, and there's like nothing at all going on. I'd, I have no idea where it even came from. I think it's like, again, people not quite understanding the science and like kind of getting like halfway there. We're like, okay, well, sugar tastes good and it's sweet. Therefore, artificial sweeteners must be targeting the same receptors, which they are granted they are like you get the same receptors that's why it's sweet um and therefore it must be causing these downstream changes and it's like well it's not glucose so it doesn't get processed the same mm -hmm. okay and this is i mean this kind of like again jumping to conclusion when people think insulin's a storage hormone therefore insulin being high means you're storing fat therefore insulin's bad therefore insulin causes obesity yeah yeah it's it's like a, a line of events okay um the other thing was, uh, you know, mixing these. So you mentioned 15 cans of Diet Coke, right? Or Diet Pop or whatever. Um, but let's say I have splendid my coffee in the morning. I do drink three Diet Cokes at night. Um, I have a Rockstar or two during the day. I have a pre-workout or a BCA supplement or, or protein powder. Like adding all these up, it actually is 15 servings of artificial sweeteners, but I have a little bit of circulose, a little bit of aspartame. Like I'm kind of mixing it. Is it is that okay? Like, does that change the amount you're taking? Is it only, you know what I mean? Like, cause there are people who 15 servings is actually not unrealistic at all. It just ends up being mixed, probably not on purpose because they don't yeah. get into it that much. Um, and there's also people, well, I'll, I'll get into this next, but does, is that safe for people to do in your mind? So I, I think so. And there's not any study that's mixed them yet, which is kind of surprising. Cause I looked for that. I was like, okay, somebody's had to have like, they'll do head to head comparisons. Um, and find new differences. Um, but nobody's mixed them and nobody has done kind of like you said, the multiple different like drinks, food, syrups. So nobody's really done that yet, but like the underlying evidence is so, so robust, right? Where, where you go to massive dosages and you don't see anything um, that it's, you're still not even close probably to the acceptable daily intake. Got right? it. Like it was, your, your stomach would probably, like, you'd probably get, like, mm, but just, like, digestion issues before you got anything else. So, and that's, and that was the other thing I was going to ask is because I have had uh, a couple clients who were, um, they're the type of people that I bring on board. I'm like, you need to eat more food. You're very lean. 
don't worry about it. Trust me. Like you need to gain some weight. And uh, they're so afraid of gaining weight that they do somewhat abuse artificial sweeteners to the point of where it's like, did you need more calories? Like, don't worry about the sugar-free version, like put calories in it, you know, put creamer in your coffee, please. <laughs> you know, and it's, but I've noticed significant bloating. And the only way I can exp- uh, like explain it would almost be like, there's just air <laughs> in your stomach. Cause like I can, it's almost like a turtle shell, you know, with like bodybuilders who are usually on roids and just massive, there's like a turtle shell and they're just bloated and they feel it. And my only explanation would possibly be like, I think you're consuming too many artificial sweeteners between your pre-workout and your BCAs and your Splenda and your Diet Coke and your Walden Farms and your sugar-free ketchup. Like it's just so much stuff. Um, they're having digestive issues. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're uncomfortable. And that was the only thing I could explain to be it. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty common, but it's not really teased out in the research. So like even the gut microbiome studies, like they don't really complain of bloating, but, but like you said, physique athletes or people who really consume a lot can have those issues. And I, and I don't like, I don't have a great answer for like why that happens. Um, I don't even have a really good speculation. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that the, the take home point is for those listening who have experienced that uh, you're not the only one. And uh, there's probably no neurological toxicity creating damage to your brain or anything crazy, like anything out of this world. It's just that you're really, really fucking bloated and you should probably calm down with artificial sweeteners. And, you know, it's just, it's not going to kill you, but it's probably not the best thing. Um, so I don't think we need to answer it, but I just wanted to bring that up because I figured you'd probably seen it before too. Um, and then the last thing that I was going to answer has nothing to do with artificial sweeteners, but you've talked about mega dosing and cancer multiple times in this. Um, does that have any relation to uh, the Remember when it was like, Oh, red meat causes cancer. Like that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, was that like a mega dose? Was that like a sourcing thing? Like they had a crappy source of that. Like what was the cause of that? Cause I can't remember, but I've had that asked to me multiple times. It made me think of it. Yeah. So those are all big giant cross-sectional da- data sets where it's like correlation basically versus causation. And I mean, like, if you look into the, the red meats, I mean, we'll do that at some point. Um, like, yeah, sure. You can find some evidence that suggests it it's associated with cancer. Right. And, and you're right. Like the quality of red meat now is nowhere near as good as it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me that it's maybe more robust now. Yeah. I mean, even think about I would say 90% of Taco Bell and McDonald's and Burger King consumers are probably consuming red meat from those places, beef tacos, beef burgers, stuff like that. Um, Okay, cool. Um, I think we hammered that one. I mean, unless you have any conclusions, I think it's it's safe to say that it's it's probably going to support weight loss goals and it's not dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. That's about it. So don't worry too much. Don't, you know, don't let it keep you up at night. Cool. And I didn't think this was going to be an overcomplicated one. I just think it's good for people to hear because it's like, I mean, for me, it's nice because I'm like, hey, if there's anybody that's going to interpret the research it's that I want on the podcast, it's you. And for you to give the stamp of approval is good for everybody. Um, this next one's going to be interesting because I think, um, and I'd love to hear what you've heard, but, um, you know, and this next question is, is how to know what's too low in, in regards to calories when you go into a deficit. And I remember for a long time hearing the numbers 1,200 and 1,500. And it was always like males, if you go below 1,500, you are like that's not good. Like that's where you start crash dieting and 1200 for women. is like, that's the point where you start crash dieting. And if you talk to any physique athlete who is extremely good at getting as extremely lean as possible, they've probably dipped below those regardless, you know, almost anybody. So, um, is there a number that is too low when you're going to, um, so 
Not really, which is kind of scary to say. Um, but I, I say that with the caveat that you don't want to be at extreme deficits for very long, right? There's a lot of research in the 80s and 90s on very low calorie diets where they would give 600 calories for like eight weeks to obese people. And man, they would lose weight. They're like, eventually their appetite would go away. Like they, it worked really well, but obviously that's not sustainable. These are really obese people. Um, they've also done low calorie diets, which are 1200 calories for women and 1500 calories for men, I think. Um, so that's kind of where those two numbers come from, I think. Um, and again, they work, you lose weight. They're not super sustainable. Adherence is hard, but like all, if you look at the, their, the bees, people's hormones, their blood, their everything, like they're perfectly healthy. Um, so I think for people to know when their calories are too low, you have to look past like a number. You have to look into, you know, how are you feeling? Is it actually causing some like mental issues, whether that's eating disorder or like anxiety or depression or things like that? Um, you know, if you're, if you're a female, have you lost your menstrual cycle because you've been eating so low for so long? Um, are your workouts just like terrible and you feel like just laying around all day? Um, so I think you go on kind of other things and try to figure out where you fall within that, that bracket of, you know, you don't, probably don't want to go under 1200 calories for more than like eight or nine weeks, but you shouldn't need to either. So, and this is something I've used in the past when trying to explain this kind of thing to people and it, it actually ties in really well with what you said at the beginning. Um, I would say there's like three dials of, of creating a deficit and that's uh, frequency, duration, or intensity. You can make a really small mild deficit and stay there for a long time. You'll be fine and you'll slowly get results. Um, you can instead crank up the intensity and get a little more aggressive, not stay there as long, but you can get after it. Um, and then the frequency, it's like kind of like, a matador study or or something similar it's like you have periods of dieting whether that's two weeks on two weeks off or it's like you have a couple months on a month or two off and you have the frequency is higher than the other two um just like training intensity and volume you can't have both dials cranked up because you're just going to crush yourself but you can have one cranked up the other one cranked down a little bit you know um yeah. and this kind of ties in perfectly with with the way you open that up is like you have to kind of choose a dial yeah and and so I, I think people always ask, and I'm sure you get this too, is like, not what deficit should I, should I start with, right? Like how many calories or what percentage, right? And so this is where you kind of can guide people a little bit, right? If they're eating like, you know, you look at the macros, you kind of get their data and you're like, all right, you're eating, I don't know, 2,500 calories. If you're like a big We'll start you with 2,000 calories. It's like a 25% deficit, right? Or... 20% is a really safe number to where like you want to kind of see results fairly quickly, but you want something that's sustainable. Um, you can try that. So I, there, I like the dial. Um, I think, I don't think I've, anyone's ever explained it to me that way, but that's very true because you could do a very steep deficit for like two weeks, but you know, who knows how long it would take to keep that up. Yeah. And I think you got to weigh, you got to weigh out the, the cons or the negative biofeedback, you know, because you're going to get it. 
no matter what. If you diet slowly for a really long time, at some point in time, you're going to feel it. You know, if you diet really hard, aggressive, you're going to feel it sooner. But, um, and that's kind of where you have to weigh out those versus your goals and how important your goals are, right? Because even for me, like I would love to be leaner, but the, the frequency dial is more of mine because like I'll go after it for a while. Once I start slowing down at work and I'm not enjoying my training, I bring the dial back up. And, and it's because I'm healthy um, and I'm at a healthy body fat. So I don't need to get shredded, even though I'd want to be. Um, I would rather take small deficits and more diet breaks and take a year to get to a goal than to get after it for 12 weeks and get shredded, which I could do, but I just feel like shit. And I don't want the business to take a hit because of that or my family or anything like that. Um, but if I was competing, that's just part of when you go into it. If you're accomplishing a photo shoot or competing, you just go into it going, I'm going to feel like shit. And that's part of the, the symptoms of getting shredded. And that's, that's just part of it. You just have to accept that. Um, now, we obviously know just with, especially with all the metabolic adaptation research that has come out over the years of like, there's a decline in thyroid and testosterone and increase of cortisol and all these different things when we're dieting. Um, but I don't think, and, and I'm sure you found this digging into this question for the research, I don't think there's a point where that increases from a caloric number perspective. Now we could say when you're in X percentage of a deficit, 20, 30, whatever, you probably experience more of those. And if you're there for three weeks, you start to get those symptoms. But when people say what's too low, it's hard to say 1200, 1500, because are you a 110 pound female or 160 pound female? You know, it's, it's completely different. I don't think there's a black and white number. Um, and for a percentage, I'd like to hear your thoughts, but I usually tell people at least 10 up to 25% when you start. And then usually your adjustment mm -hmm. are less than 10% along the way when you're creating a bigger deficit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great advice. I think on your comment with, you know, the, the hormonal panels and, and cortisol and things like that really does start to become a problem when you get lean, right? Because if you're, if you're healthy or if you're a little overweight and you just want to lose like 10 pounds, right? Those, those things aren't going to have an effect. Like you're not losing enough weight. Whereas if you look at the physique literature, like those people in the case studies, like, yeah, their testosterone and like thyroid hormones drop to the floor and they come right back when they're done. But like things do change very quickly, um, especially when you start to get lean. Yeah, I think, uh, and obviously we'll save too much of the hormone talk for the next one, but I get this question all the time too of like, uh, hey, I have a new client. She has 40 pounds to lose. She's barely eating. We got a reverse dieter. And I was like, you don't, you, you, she has 40 pounds to lose. You do not need to reverse dieter. She's probably not actually even in that deficit. You just need to figure out adherence so you can find out actually how much she's consuming. Um, and this is where I'm like, correct me if I'm wrong, but somebody who is obese or overweight could potentially have some of the same hormonal issues as somebody who is underweight because their health is compromised. It's on a completely opposite end of the spectrum. Somebody is, has too much body fat versus somebody doesn't have enough body fat, but both of them can have similar hormone issues because of different things. So for that person over there, don't reverse diet them, get them to lose weight so they can fix their hormone issues. Is that, would that be accurate? Yeah. Especially for some of the, the health outcomes like, um, HDL, LDL, you know, more like the, the things that, that your physician cares about, uh, cardiovascular health, like, yeah, yeah your insulin, your, your glucose, like those things are out of whack, the heavier you get, like the heavier. So when you bring back it in like it's normal range, you're like, okay, this is good. I can stay in here. And then when you go on the other end, it's like things start to get a little weird again. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree with that. 
cool. Um, okay, so do you have a conclusion on how low you can bring your calories just so people leave away, leave with yeah. an answer? Yeah, so if you're going to use low calories and we're talking 12 to 1500 calories um, for women and men respectively, uh, don't expect to be able to do it very long. It's better to be able to adhere to your diet and use not quite as low calories than go super low. Um, but also don't be afraid to go low because it's going to be okay. You just may not be able to do it. Yeah. Comes down to personality type and lifestyle. If you can, you can muster it up. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Last one for today is uh, hormone health when dieting. What is more important, fats or carbs? Yeah. So I start, I, I did this question last. And I looked into so much research and I'm just like, all right, there's gotta be like a, a glimpse of an answer, right? Like there's gotta be something. And, and there, there really is not anything to tell you what's more important. The only things that I found um, are that you, ne you need a minimal amount of fat. And so if you get below that kind of threshold, which is about 20% of your calories, 15%, you can go pretty low. Um, you could have some some issues like physiologically, um, but that's like that's like thirty. When you get under thirty grams of fat, whether you're a female or a male, like that's that you got to go pretty low. It's almost impossible to even do that. Uh, whereas carbs, you can take all the way down, like not to zero, because again, that's pretty dang impossible. But you could take it to fifty or twenty-five and be perfectly fine. So the deficit dictates your hormone response, not necessarily the fat or carbs when you're on that super low end, right? So we're talking like, you know, what's more important? Well, they're both important. Would you be able to say that uh, it doesn't matter, calories matter? Yeah, as long as you're like, like I said, there's like a minimal amount of fat you kind of need for life. Um, but as long as you're above that, you should be fine. And it's not really going to matter unless... Like, honestly, again, you're a physique athlete and you're just staying super low to try to get super duper duper lean, which is, you know, an exemption to the rule anyway, because you're not doing it pretty long. Um, but yeah, calories matter more than fats or carbs, basically. I think, it, and there's also, uh, from what I'm aware of, like there's certain like sex hormones, for example, that will be, um, their levels will be more predicated on fats. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. there's even something I think was recently reviewed um, by some of the research reviewers about uh, saturated fat and testosterone and, and that whole thing and how it's probably not good to cut out saturated fat like people thought it was because it does help with uh, sex hormones. Um, whereas there's also been stuff to come out with carbohydrates supporting thyroid, which is a main metabolic hormone. So um I think it kind of depends on that too, but theoretically speaking, because I highly doubt there's a study on this, somebody who isn't too lean to where their body fat levels would affect their hormones, they're not in a calorie deficit so that so their calories won't affect their hormones and they're otherwise have a healthy lifestyle, but they're consuming below that number of fats that you said you need as a minimum, which we know is probably damn near impossible to adhere to because once you get too low, it's just so, so hard to eat normal foods. Um, yeah. let's just say hypothetically speaking, they did accomplish that they're eating 20 grams of fat a day, something crazy, but they have enough carbs and protein to support their calories. They're not underweight from a fat perspective. Do you think theoretically speaking, they would still have that issue 
because the calories are high enough and they don't have a body fat issue? Um, so there is, you do need a basal level of fat intake to make some of the sex hormones and to keep up your lipid membranes in your, in your body. Uh, so that you would probably run into an issue in that example where like your body can make fats, like it can make adipose tissue, obviously, but there are some things it's just not great at making or can't quite get the full structure without you consuming it. Um, so I would not recommend like testing those limits because that could be, that could be an issue. Yeah. I could see someone like testosterone kind of like not tanking, but you know, going down 20% because they're not consuming enough fat. So next question, what is that minimum? We've kind of talked about this from a dieting perspective, but I don't know, like what's the extreme minimum that you found in the research here? Um, whether that's the same as your physique guide uh, recommendations. Yeah. So it, it basically is like the minimum is, so my minimum, what I generally tell people is like 0.7 grams of fat per kilogram of body weight, which in practice is kind of around that 30 grams of fat mark. Um, again, you can go below it. Just, you just don't want to do it very long, especially if you're like over-exercising. 0.7 grams of what? Fat per kilogram of body weight. Okay. Point, uh, 0.5 is also like, it's like me and Trex went back and forth for between 0.5 and 0.7. And I think I was okay with 0.5 and he was like 0.7. Okay. So let's say 0.5 is the extreme, which is yeah. it's damn low. Um, okay. And then the next question I have is, and this is this sparked more interest once I uh, heard um, I think it was Trex actually who reviewed the testosterone and the saturated fat um, research, but type of fats. So people hear fats and they think macros, is there any difference? So like, let's say we do push it to that extreme, but we're more cautious and this just for people listening, we're getting extremely nitty gritty here. So this is like, <laughs> you really got to pay attention, but um, there's been things that I've read as well of like, even just like, okay, what percentage of your fat intake is poly versus mono versus saturated fat. Um, in order to either a help your hormones um, and get away with less calories, but keeping hormones healthy while dropping calories because your ratio is proper, or um, even just, um, I, and I want to say it was maybe it was Hoffman or Isretel that I heard talking about um, consuming more monounsaturated fat during a diet phase because of the way your body um, burns it or the way your body stores it or something, which would make sense if we think of saturated fat gets solid room temperature, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know if that would actually apply. Um, but I'm just curious, is there anything that you came across when it comes to distributing your fat intake between polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, and saturated fats? Um, okay. So no, not for this question. And I'm, I'm a little bit rusty on this type of response too. But saturated fats are going to be used in your sex hormones and your cell membranes a little bit more than the unsaturated fats. Um, so they're probably of the three slightly more important for like structural things, whereas your uh, mono and unsaturated fats in general are more like, well, say like circulating aspects of your physiology. Um, that's not doing it justice, but I, I think there is a ratio. I just can't remember what it is right now. When it's hard to, because over the years it's changed, right? For a while, yeah. saturated fat was bad. And then for a while, polyunsaturated fat was bad, which made everybody demonize fish oil, which we know is probably actually a good thing for you to take. Um, and I don't think anybody just wants to consume. I mean, some people, maybe they do olive oil and 
almond butter all day and avocados. And that was like the Mediterranean diet, right? That was really popular for a while. It's tons of monounsaturated fat. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And that, that research does go back and forth quite heavily. Like there'll be a string of studies that come out supporting one side and then the other. So I, I would have to revisit that question. That's kind of like the, the deeper version of the uh, artificial sweetener question where we get, we have to look at the sugar alcohols too. Yeah. So maybe we'll, yeah. maybe we'll revisit that one. Yeah. If, if I had to give my recommendation, you can tell me if you think differently, I would probably lean on more saturated monounsaturated and still have like, I, I know even with a normal healthy diet, you tend to have a little bit less polyunsaturated anyway, your fish oil is going to be that, but if you're getting, um, quality meat or, um, coconut oil, stuff like that, you're going to get good saturated fats. I believe egg yolks are going to be that as well. And then monounsaturated fats are obviously great too. Olive oil, avocado, um, nuts and, and most nuts, but nuts have a mixture of different types of fats as well. Um, but I tend to find like, if you really look at a really good diet, it tends to be a little bit heavier on the saturated monounsaturated fat anyway. And from what I know of what I've looked into the research and everything that seems to support a pretty good balance leaning towards those two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense to me just like thinking about it. Um, you know, diverse diets are always good, right? So you can look at a diet and tell kind of whether it's healthy or not. Um, so mixing some of those, both of those types of fats in your diet is probably a good thing, um, I would say, too. Like most people don't even eat any of that stuff. That Like how many people actually eat avocados? Eh, not that many. How many eat almonds and, and like coconut oil? Like not that many. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a lot of people listen to the podcast, but like in real life. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so on this one, I'll let you give your conclusion. But from what I can tell, it sounds like um, if we had to choose one, probably fats. Um, but I would say neither one is ruled out as unimportant because the calories and body fat that's actually on your body is probably going to play a pretty big role as well. But you can't go below the minimum threshold of fat, whereas carbs, you could probably get away with it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a nice, nice little summary. I agree with, with everything there. Um, and just to throw this out there, even if you're keto and have a ton of, uh, ton of fat in your diet and you go into a very low calorie diet, your hormones can probably still eventually be compromised because you're in a deficit. Yeah, that's, that's, the key, that's the key there. People want to blame hormones as like a scapegoat. And it's like, no, you're not, you're not seeing the forest for the trees. Like it's, it's the fact that you're in this monstrous deficit for like six months. Yeah, exactly. That was one of the things that that troll I brought up threw at me too, is that hormones said hormones are more important than calories. Read, read more recent research, dude. I was like, okay, man. Um, I don't think that's yeah. how it works. Ne neither one is more important than the other. They both work together. Um, but cool. All right. That, that wraps it up for this one, guys. Uh, as always, if you have ideas, topics, questions, anything like that, that you want to throw at us for us to dive into on the next research review uh, for September um, or later, if you listen to this late, there is a link in the description of this podcast to ask me a question. You can drop it in there and I will bring it to Brandon and we will find the research on it. Um, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.